The Holy Gospel according to Matthew chapter 25. Glory to you, O Lord. And the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them were wise and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight a cry was heard, Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, No, lest there should not be enough for us and you. Go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came, also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Let us pray. Gracious God, send forth your Spirit by the power of your Word to create faith, to forgive sin, and to grow our love for you and for one another. Amen. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. Faith is not a commodity. It's not something to be traded. It's not something to be bought and sold. It isn't um, something that can be exercised for us by someone else. If you and I, uh, for instance, approach a a rope bridge over a a swift-moving river, out of fear I may not cross because I don't trust the bridge and I don't like heights. But you do trust that doesn't help me, though. Your, your trust, your, your uh, faith will do it for you because you'll be able to go across the bridge, bridge but, but my lack will, will leave me stranded. Or, or worse, you may say, I'll carry you, right? Like, I, I'm going to carry you like a newborn baby, a uh, 190-something pound newborn baby. <laughs> but in my doubt, in my fear, I could call it, cause us both to fall, cause us both to stumble. I can remember back when I was younger and I was first learning how to snow ski. I don't ski anymore because of my knee, but uh, I hated the chairlift. It terrified me. The idea of sitting on a bench with no seat belt and, and plummeting through the sky at what I thought was an ungodly sp- speed to go up a hill quite far off the ground and then having to get off the chairlift, getting off the chairlift, that's like an act of God. <laughs> At least I thought so. And I remember I was just terrified. So I, I wouldn't do it. I, I would maybe do the tow rope or I just wouldn't go skiing. I was so deathly afraid of falling and, and sitting, even just getting on the chairlift terrified me. And then my dad just said, let's go now, let's go. And he basically forced me to. I didn't really want to go, but he, he 
forced me to. And eventually my dad's trust became mine because he showed it could be trusted. It was faith made real for me to become my own that I finally was able to take the chairlift by myself without worrying about whether my dad was with me or not. I think also two of my son, whom last year was his first year swimming uh, in high school. He, we are a swimming family. We were part of a club down in, in Northfield, Minnesota, and um, my daughter just finished up her senior year. is going to be swimming in, in college. But the thing is, is that my son never got to the point of the club where they taught him how to do starts. He learned kind of how to do turns. He learned how to do all the strokes, except for butterflies. Butterflies are really bad. Josiah, if you're hearing this, you know I'm telling you the truth. Um, but he never learned how to do starts. And so the first meet comes, and he still can't do a start, and he's just terrified to the point that he's like crying. He's 12 years old, his seventh grader. And he's like crying on the blocks because he just can't dive from the blocks into the water. He's just terrified of it. He's, he's got two captains and others on the team trying to help him and trying to get him to do it. And other, other members of the team were just being jerks, being bullies, whatever. And you have the coach even working with him and working with him and working with him. And finally it ends up that his first meet, he had to start in the water because he just could not go off the blocks And then he uh, eventually it got to the point by the end of the season, he was doing starts off the blocks, no problem to the point of doing relay starts, which are really challenging because you're not just going off the blocks like you would from a start, but you're having to take a step and and going off that way. And you have to time it just right. So you, and, and go out far enough so you don't land on your teammate and, and all those things. But eventually for him in his mistrust and in his fear, His trust was made real for him because he realized after he did it once, he could do it again, just like me in the chairlift. Faith made real. Well, enter our parable, which we hate. This parable, I've I've met even pastors who who can't stand this parable. We we don't like the parables of judgment. We we don't like them. But it, it begins well right? It begins with a party. There, there's going to be a party. There's going to be a feast. And you have these, these bridesmaids, these virgins, these, these party planners. Their, their job was to be es- to taking care of the, the bride, making sure she's ready for the groom, and then escorting the groom to the bride, and then it's time for the party. And, and also their job included waiting, waiting and knowing that, that the groom was going to come when the groom comes. And what we also notice in the parable is that they're identical, on the outside, at, at first glance, they're, they're exactly the same. There's 10 of them, all these bridesmaids, these virgins. It does say that five of them were wise and five were foolish. But uh, it says that they took their lamps. They all had their lamps. They all had their torches. They all had their mag lights with them. But some brought batteries and some didn't, right? We, we see them. They're wearing the right clothes. They're, they have the right tools with them. The difference becomes one in which some have oil and some don't. Some have their batteries with them and some don't. And in part, I see in those foolish bride ma- bridesmaids, uh, just make a little real for you, I, I see in them maybe those who've questioned relationship choices you've made. 
they're, they're the people who are like, oh, he's never going to stick with you. Oh, he's never going to be there for you. Oh, he's just the wrong guy for you. Or, oh, you're, he's ju- you're just rebounding from their last relationship and, you know, undercutting all of it. You know, here are the, these, these five who are, who are foolish. Uh, maybe they see the groom as aloof. He's someone who's been perpetually late. He, he doesn't come when we, we want him to. And in some ways, what's worse is that they didn't expect him to come at all. They didn't even bring the oil with them. They didn't expect that he was going to fulfill his obligations. But then it happens in his way. We hear the shout, behold the bridegroom, he's coming. And what is, what is worse is that their denial, their doubt, it turns to fear. Because then we hear from them. And the foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil for our lamps are going out. But the others can't give it to them. They, they know they only have enough for themselves for that moment. They, they need what they brought with them. And we want to blame the, the wise ones for not sharing, right? That, that's usually the direction we go where we all teach our kids to share. Oh, they should be, they should be good sharers. They're not sharing. That's very unfair. But why don't we rip on the foolish ones? Why would you bring an empty lamp with you? Why would you be, bring a dry torch? Why would you bring a flashlight with no batteries? Why would you do that? Well, they didn't think that the groom was going to come. And so these foolish ones, they leave to go and try and buy some. But of course, the shops are closed. It's at midnight. Why would, why would the shop owners be open? And when they return, just like the shops, the door is closed. You know, they, they had ticked off the groom's family. <laughs> you know, you didn't think this was going to happen. You, and then you left. What, what the heck? Come on now. Well, our anger about this text is is an outpouring of our fear, I think. It's our fear that there's a possibility that the door would be closed at all. That that there there is the possibility that, that, you know, the door is not just a revolving door that's perpetually open. And I think what pains us the most are the words of the bridegroom. I don't know you. I don't acknowledge you. I don't recognize you. What? We, we, we were in all the wedding pictures. We, we, uh, we were there when you proposed to her. What in the world are you talking about? You don't acknowledge us. You don't recognize us. The thought that there could be a velvet rope. The thought that there could be a, a, a lock on the door really calls, causes us some anger, some frustration, and often times to just want to walk away from the faith because we can't imagine a Jesus who would do this sort of thing because we think it's all about let's get together and sing Kumbaya because we tend to default to, well, everyone's in no matter what, so who cares? But what of faith? What of trust? What of love? Faith in the groom. Trust in the words of the one who is to come, the one who said he is coming. Just wait. 
love for him enough to have lives of anticipation because we trust that he speaks the truth to us in his promise, the promised coming of Christ with with us as the bridesmaids. But some of us are prepared and others not. What's more troubling is that these bridesmaids, these bridesmaids, these virgins, are the ones who prepare the bride and present the groom, which which is a huge fear of mine as a pastor, right? And and it should fear all, it should cause fear upon all pastors. It should cause fear upon all those who minister in the church, uh, those those who are teachers, those who are part of the priesthood of all believers. Which means all of us, because my my job is to prepare you, to teach you, to care for you to grow your faith, to announce to you the gospel, to feed you through word and through sacrament. That is my job. And yet, what if I'm one of the foolish ones who comes to you and says, oh, he's not coming, don't worry about it. And that is detrimental to our health, (laughs) in fact, because when you read this parable and it says they all fall asleep, that that means death. That symbolizes death. Death being that symbol uh, of, of possibly thinking that Christ is wrong. If he were right, why did my son die? Why did grandma die? Why did, why did my dad die? Why did, you know, all these different things. Death being a, a dangerous thing for us because it can cause us to lose our faith. It becomes dangerous for us in our health spiritually because we see death as, as some curse, which it is. But the promise is not that death is going to be avoided, but that we will die and rise. That there's going to be a shout. There's going to be a trumpet sounding. And the one who said he is to come will come. Without the oil, the ones with no oil are basically saying, well, it's all a lie. The oil is not the issue, though. The, them having oil or not was not the issue. The issue began, their, the failure, the sin on our part when we are part of the foolish virgin, virgins is there even before the sleep. It's before the need for the torches. It's before the procession. It's, it's there in the, in the thinking that this Jesus is a liar and that all faith is of, of nothing. And even worse, if we leave it up to us, if you take away from the sermon that I'm telling you, well, you just need to believe harder. But the, promise, the problem is, is that it will just make a mess of everything. You can't force belief upon people. It comes by being made real to them. It can't be purchased. You can't buy faith from someone else. And there's no such thing as fake belief. It either exists or it doesn't. In fact, here it's, it's faith that becomes proactive that, that can cause even bigger issues. Uh, a proactive faith, in my mind, is one that tries to bring the kingdom of heaven down to earth of our own accord, of our own doing, and we tend to make it look a lot like us. Us and our doing, our interpretation, and it usually ends up becoming Christless and crossless. It becomes about glory and power and ambition and prestige. It usually becomes politics, 
Today, many of you are probably in mourning because your person did not win their election, whatever it might be, and partially because that is the default of our sinful nature to think that somehow we can inaugurate the kingdom of God, inaugurate the coming of Christ, because so-and-so wins. But that is so far, so far from the truth. Because this working of God upon us is a faith that comes from outside of us into us. It's a faith that God works in us as, as he, he prophesied for us in, in Jeremiah. We, we have this text quite a few times. It was Jeremiah 31. Many of you probably already know it. You've heard it a thousand times. But it's this working of the inner man, the inner person. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. A faith that comes to you, that is made in you by the working of God. It's just like in Ezekiel chapter 11. There in Ezekiel chapter 11, we have a continuation of what Jeremiah has to say. Where he tells us, Thus says the Lord God, I will gather you from the peoples, assemble you from the countries where you have been scattered, and I will give you the land of Israel. And they will go there and they will take away all, all its detestable things, all its abominations from them, from there. Then I will give them one heart and I will put a new spirit within them and take the stony heart out of, their, out of their flesh and give them a heart of flesh that they may walk in my statutes and keep my judgments and do them and they shall be my people and I will be their God. This need for God to do something in us, to give us new desires new life, new faith inside of us, a working that we cannot do on our own. It's not of our own, but it's of God. God becoming the light in our darkness. We need that. Otherwise, if we count on others, we're lost. If we put all our hope in a political basket, one day the election's not going to go our way, and then what happens? We feel like we've lost everything, that our hope is gone. When it doesn't pan out, we, we see our misplaced trust, our misplaced faith, or our lack of faith in a God who gives life to the dead. It, that, that misplaced trust, it, it, it leads to anger and it leads to doubt and fear and frustration and impatience. So allow God to come to you today. Hear him today. He, he knows you now. Know him. Don't, don't trust in, in your oil or the oil of others. The oil doesn't matter. Don't become complacent, but lean on God, even in the midst of trials, because a Christian is one that is made by suffering. A Christian is one made by the suffering of Christ, by the suffering of faith, by the suffering of, of perseverance. Think of Elijah back in, in, in 1 Kings 19. He has just won a great, great victory there at Mount Carmel, where, where, where God 
rains down fire from heaven and and the 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 bales are are destroyed the 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 prophets of baal are are gone but he finds himself alone hunted by ahab and jezebel um and and Je- jezebel uh decides she wants to kill him and so he runs away he went a day's journey into the wilderness this is first kings 19 4 and came and sat under a broom tree and he prayed that he might die and said it is enough now lord take my life for i am no better than my father's then as he lay and slept under a broom tree suddenly an angel touched him and said to him arise and eat then he looked and there by his head was a cake baked on coals and a jar of water so he ate and drank and lay down again and the angel of the Lord came back the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for you. So he arose and ate and drank, and he went in the strength of that food forty days and forty nights, as far as Horeb, the mountain of God. And it was there on that mountain that God displays all this power, but then he finally comes to Elijah in a still small voice. You see, we need this working of God that comes to us, especially at times when we feel most lost, most alone. Faith is this thing that cannot be explained by science. It cannot be explained by personal preferences. It can't be worked out on our own or bought. But it's something that is gifted to us by God, just as God cared for Elijah, just as God came in something the least powerful, just a still small voice, a a small little preacher, to declare to you the promises of God. It's on the words of Romans 5. We glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulations, tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance, character, and character, hope. Now, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the, by the Holy Spirit who has given to us, God pouring into us faith. For when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die, but God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So hold on, church. Hold to that faith. He is coming. Don't trust me. Trust him. Thanks be to God. Amen.